Hello everyone, I'm Becca, dietitian by trade, mom 24-7, wife from the start, and when there's a few extra hours in the day, you might find me hitting the trails or on horseback. And I'm Kara, a therapist to women, a mom to a boy, an entrepreneur, mountain junkie, and a postpartum runner. And this is Fit for a Queen, a podcast that's devoted to the female athlete wanting to balance the teeter-totter of all the things we desire out of life as women. Performance, health, intellect, and taking time for self, even if we only get one minute out of the day. We're so excited to be bringing you the queens in the athletic world who have done just that. Okay, ladies, take a seat at your thrones, grab your crowns, and welcome to Fit for a Queen. Queens, we have Samantha Arsenault Livingstone on today. She's an Olympic gold medalist. Let me repeat that. She's an Olympic mm-hmm. gold medalist. Yep. High she got perf- the swag. That's right. She, <laughs> she's got it. High performance consultant, mental performance coach, speaker, educator, and entrepreneur. She's the founder of Livingstone High Performance, LLC, and two multi-module online courses, the Rise Free Academy and Ride the Wave, a boot camp to strengthen our emotional agility, inspiring, empowering, and equipping athletes, coaches, and female leaders with the skills they need to become more mindful, courageous, resilient leaders. I love it. In addition to private and group coaching, Samantha consults with teams and organizations on athlete wellness initiatives, leadership, strategic planning, rising skills, and developing high-performance cultures. She's a certified instructor of mindful sports performance enhancement, and as of September 1st, 2019, ooh, yeah, she'll be a certified instructor of mental health first aid. Mm -hmm. Love it. Take the five-day I Am Challenge and join Samantha's private community space to link arms, connect, plus participate in her free challenges. Samantha and her husband, Rob, live in the Berkshires with their four girls. And to learn more about her offerings, go to SamanthaLivingstone.com. Samantha, thank you for coming on. Oh, I'm so excited. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I can attest, a lot of times when people have, like, Facebook posts or groups, it's kind of like, but her posts are incredible like I, you get like sucked in and drawn in like oh, I was just looking that's me that's me <laughs> FYI Samantha I just started following you on Instagram oh, so I'm it... new over to the gram I like this is like a new I was huge into Facebook and then I made the leap I kind of like it over there yeah I, I just noticed I'm on there the gram much more than the book so oh we, mm, we even yes. have to say it like the gram and the book I say oh, it. I'm not I'm not a hipster <laughs> <laughs> i love it oh uh well first please we can't um just overlook this olympic gold medal thing so can you speak to us about your journey to gold and what was it like in that experience for you oh my goodness there's so many places to go with this so i i was i was 18 mm-hmm. when i stood atop the olympic podium and i mm. you know i i tell the story what did you say? I said, sorry, I'm already getting goosebumps just as you uh, said that. It's like Becca's <laughs> on the podium herself. <laughs> I'll tell you, it was a dream. You know, when I look back and I share my story, it, it starts the same way as an eight-year-old girl who had this deep, deep curiosity to know what it would be like to stand atop the podium. Mm. And I would, for this is not hyperbole, I would look outside my bedroom window and I would find the first star and I would make a wish and I would just close my eyes and I would imagine what it would be like to stand up there someday. And I was so fortunate to have idols in my life that were 
I could see that they were human. So Jenny Thompson was mm-hmm. a, she's one of the most decorated female athletes and we, and we share an Olympic gold medal. So how cool is that? But I grew up watching her swim and chasing her records and she's from New England. So there was that connection of like, there's this New England girl who did this thing, and look how, you know, she's on TV and she's in these magazines and, and then meeting another Olympian in real life when I was nine and then meeting the team USA, um, I, I'm try. I cannot remember the exact dates, but it was so- the soccer team, and they were doing a tour. And I remember seeing Mia Hamm and seeing the soccer team, and I was like, "Oh my wow. gosh, these are real people!" Yeah. So I was so fortunate when I look back to to have, you know, this dream that I had inside of me, and then these real life like living examples of these humans that were doing what I wanted to do. Um, and so from eight years old, the funny part about this is that I hadn't actually made my way to the swim team yet. I really loved soccer. So that was my first passion. And that was where I was envisioning myself and my older brother swam. And so instead of sitting on a hot pool deck, I decided that I was going to join him. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And think, you know, I have a tall, long body and I wanted to be part of what the big kids are doing. My brother is four years older. And so from there it was like, by nine, I had learned all my strokes and I'm, I was still playing soccer, which I think is a whole nother side conversation we could have about being, you know, committed to one thing so early. Right. Mm-hmm. I played soccer all the way until sophomore year in high school. Um, but by the time that I was 12, I was competing at a national level. Mm. So it was a really fast ascent, you know, and I, like when I tell this story, it's like this, there's, if you imagine an iceberg, you know, you, I'm, I'm sharing with you these little blips that kind of progress you along the way to get to the top of the podium, but underneath the surface of the water is there's, there was struggle. There was, there were hard times and we can get into that as much as you want, but it wasn't always, it wasn't a straight line. Mm-hmm. though it seems that way. Um, when you look, when you kind of back up and tell the story. By 13, and I was at the junior national level, which in the U.S. swimming is kind of two steps down from Olympic trials. Mm-hmm. And then by, well, 14, 15 is when I my body was changing and I struggled a lot. And I ended up changing club teams, leaving a very toxic coaching environment. Um, I almost walked away from the sport, actually, at that point because it was so toxic. Mm-hmm. And found my way to a, a club team that just had fun. <laughs> which was so it breathed life into me mm. and then from there um 15 16 I made Olympic trials like I went I, I mean it was like have fun with your sport and love what you do and the results come and that was oh. what happened with me um I mean it was hard work and incredibly hard work and then by 15 you know so 16 I made Olympic trials and then I was placing and winning you know, 18 and under national championships, placing top three at U.S. nationals. And so by the time that I rolled into trials in 2000, I was the fastest American 200 freestyler and the sixth fastest in the world. Yeah. Um, and so that is how I earned my way to Sydney was mm-hmm. by by swimming the 200 freestyle and earning a spot. And then we won gold in our relay. That's so awesome. there's, I mean, I could go in a million different directions. I'm like smiling. I love talking about it. Um, <laughs> Yeah. And I think, you know, I didn't feel that young then, but it was 10 years, you know, 10 years of that little eight year old girl dreaming and wishing and visualizing. And then it happened. Mm-hmm. So Gosh, I'll let you go. I'll let you take it, take it <laughs> whatever direction you want to go. So when you reach that kind of pivotal point, I think you said you were 13 and you mm-hmm. realize what a toxic environment 
did you express that you wanted to change clubs? I think a lot of kids don't even think that that or know that's an option. Did your parents like how did you decide to make that leap, which turned out to be very beneficial? And we've talked about this, right? Like with other podcasts, the the such powerful words that Mm -hmm. an adolescent starts saying is like, well, coach says, coach says this, coach says that. They held so much power for that age. So So I bet that was such a difficult decision. It was so, you know, and I, and this is, this is actually really powerful to have this conversation because I didn't say a word mm. and my mom picked up on my behavior changes, mm. oh, which is so mom. critical. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mom. was with, yeah, withdrawing. I was spending more time in my room alone. I was, um, not wanting to go to practice. I was getting kicked out of practice, which mm. I call myself a recovering perfectionist. I mean, I was, I was an absolute rule follower. And so all of these were pretty drastic changes yeah. in my behavior. And my mom, after one of our meets, um, I was just super withdrawn. And she, if we, I remember exactly where we were in the car when she turned to me and said, do you even want to swim anymore? And mm-hmm. I was like, no. Mm-hmm. And we've actually talked about that moment since because as I'm now a mother of four, I'm just, I was, I'm so moved by her listening to her intuition Mm -hmm. um and so that opened the door for me to say no and i didn't tell her at the time like the details of what was happening and what was being said and how i was being treated because of shame i mean Mm -hmm. i was so wrapped in it i felt like i was the problem and Mm -hmm. and so her question to me she said well what if we tried a different team and i was like yes Mm -hmm. so it wasn't that i didn't want to swim it was that was enough information for her to say, okay, yeah. we're done here. You didn't want to swim like that. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. no, it was not. It was, and it, that's that inner, that's what I love teaching and talking about with young girls is that, that, in, that inner knowing, like that voice is so powerful when we tune into it, but sometimes it's really hard, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah, Thank, mm-hmm. thankful, thankful for that moment. No kidding. So I know you've talked about when you, your transition into college was, going from the the tip of the podium to then going Mm -hmm. into college was not as smooth as most people would envision. Can you share a little bit about that? And um, are you comfortable sharing how at that point you came to the realization that there was an eating disorder that had been developing? Oh, totally. Yeah. I think that I, I feel that I've done so much hard work. I was, I I joke with my husband, I've been at this for 19 years now, (laughs) like working on, (laughs) working with coaches and therapists and doing it. And I, and that's why I'm such a fierce mental health advocate because I actually re- I rejected that I had an eating disorder because I didn't fit the boxes, right? And so I rejected that I had anything wrong with me. Um, and it was only through a coach intervening. And I can kind of back up a bit to give perspective of how this all unfolded, mm-hmm. if, if you'd like me to share. Please sure. do. I'm just thinking about that transition at 18, yeah. reaching that pinnacle. And then did you then, like then go what? on and you know? did you compete in college? <laughs> Yes, yeah, I did. Yeah. And I ended up, yeah. So my story, I mean, I think that it's, it's definitely one of perseverance and, and accepting lots of help. So it, so Sid, the Sydney Olympics in 2000, because we're opposite hemispheres, the summer games were, it's winter time in the summer. So yeah. they were in the fall. So yeah. it, I swam on September 20th. And so you can imagine school's already in session, right? Mm-hmm. And so it was my freshman year. I had already deferred a year. Um, I graduated high school and I was one year out from Olympic trials. And we made that decision um, as a family to stay home, for me to stay home, go to community college classes, mm-hmm. defer my scholarship, stay with my home club coach and give it the best shot I had, you know, at, the, at trials. So I arrived one recruiting class later, 
halfway through the semester, having just accomplished my childhood dream and feeling the weight of imposter syndrome, which yeah. is that like I, I felt like I was going to get caught and found out that like I really wasn't an Olympic gold medalist and I wasn't mm-hmm. worthy of this. And so I didn't have the coping skills to deal with the emotion and the change. I was very attached to my coach. And so that change was hard. And I also, thanks to the female athlete conference, this this has been connected in my story (laughs) and listening to the stories and putting the pieces together, my injury, I had an injured shoulder. And so it was, the pain was unbearable at that point. And so it was the combination of all of that that sent me, I mean, I was just manipulating with food and trying to control and punishing my body and that voice that was actually on the podium with me, the inner critic telling me that I'm not fit enough or fast enough or I didn't do a good enough job, you know, the one that robbed me of feeling complete joy in that moment, what just got super loud um, Mm -hmm. when the surgeon told me you can't swim, you have to rest. And so Mm -hmm. I was sent to uh, his name's Greg and I smile so big because he saved my life and he was such a powerful influence on me. He's a social worker and he had this little tiny office in the back of, you know, the football building at Michigan. Um, and I went and I spent every day, every week, I would go see him for once a week for two years. And it was through him and our work that he sent me to a nutritionist and then, you know, and healed this eating disorder that I finally acknowledged that I had depression, suicidal ideation, and this anxiety that I had mm-hmm. developed. So it was through that work, I found skills to cope, mm-hmm. healed my relationship, truly healed my relationship with my body, which when you grow up in a bathing suit, and then mm-hmm. that toxic <laughs> culture, I mentioned, yeah. you know, you're, they made comments, sexually harassing comments, and just about yeah. your body, shedding all that and being able to end my career, you know, as a co-captain of the national championship team, feeling confident and healthy I mean I couldn't have written a better ending truly mm-hmm. to my career so yeah so it ended well it was really hard in that middle section the beginning of my college career mm-hmm. well Greg mm-hmm. if you're out there we want to say thank you yeah mm-hmm. Greg, the social worker. yes mm-hmm. he's so, awesome so I know that the, the journey has continued and probably you had one of your toughest parts when your daughter end up suffering a medical emergency and you you share in this beautiful blog about how that voice came back when that loss of control came mm-hmm. back even mm-hmm. stronger when it's your your precious mm-hmm. child mm-hmm. would you feel comfortable sharing how you navigated that part of your journey and what lessons you learned from it yes yeah so i think my perfectionist armor when so she had open heart surgery and then her heart failed after surgery which was just i mean i had planned and prepped and done all the things at that time we had three kids and she had a twin sister she has a twin sister and a big sister and so i had done like all the things mm-hmm. and prepared and you know and i think in that moment in that moment it was pure survival and it was my primate brain taking over but what i've learned about the trauma and the that traumatic event is that my perfectionist armor shattered Mm -hmm. that and with that the belief that if we just try hard enough then we can control all the things yeah and that was really hard for me because sport feeds that illusion you know it feeds that illusion of if I just put my hand in the water this way or if I just get my body this way then I can control the outcome Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. so I had to you know I, I spent a lot of time 
understanding how perfectionism had manifested in my life. I'm, I'm, you know, it's one of those both and events in our lives where it's like it was the most brutal, painful experience, and it was the one that cracked me open to this deeper work, so that I could hold that 18-year-old girl who stood on the podium and was so proud and relieved and excited and felt joy and also had that voice that was beating her up and, and, and embrace that space of both. Um, and so there's the climb out of the rubble, really. I mean, literally picking myself back up and figuring out how to move forward. It's taught me how to be, I wouldn't say comfortable, but how to learn to tolerate uncertainty Mm-hmm. which has helped me with anxiety. I mean, and so it's I've navigated and found my way over to mindfulness practices in a big way because that's that's the power. And the cool thing about that is that learning about it, practicing it, and teaching it, I realize the power it has to help those of us that are most at risk for mental illness mm-hmm. and also the, all those of us who are trying to achieve at really high levels and perform because of its ability to act, you know, help us access flow state. So it's been a fascinating journey for me of this merging of these worlds of mental health and mental illness and high performance and kind of the work I do today sits at the intersection of those. So I feel like, you know, I'm grateful for the experience and also she still has a complicated, messy heart. (laughs) And so that's what I mean about living with uncertainty. It's just, you know, and in, in, um, sitting in that space. And so it's, yeah, it's forced me to walk the walk mm-hmm. in a big way. And I'm grateful for it. Do you think, mm-hmm. I'm just thinking about your journey and tackling, mm-hmm. do you think perfectionism was the biggest thing you had to tackle or anything else along that way, just for our listeners to kind of figure out a little bit of what oh, yeah. helped you? With the, tr- so, so there's actually the work I do in the, the emotion, the ride the wave you mentioned, mm-hmm. the reason I created that is because okay. actually my daughter has, she came away from that traumatic experience for her with sensory processing disorder, yeah. which is, um, it's actually pretty common with, with kids. And so learning how to help her cope helped me heal. Mm-hmm. And so that goes beyond perfectionism. That is about literally like I get hit with this wave of emotion and instead of judging myself for it and getting angry about it or wishing it weren't there, I've learned how to feel my, feel my emotions, like feel my feelings, and then be able to show up in an aligned way. So for like put it in kid language, she would go into this what we call the red zone space, and she can't she couldn't control that, but she could control her response, which was chucking shoes at my head while I'm driving. Mm-hmm. Like we can't do that. That's not okay. That's yeah. dangerous, right? Like, or hitting her sisters, and so that separation of, okay, these thoughts can come into your mind, doesn't mean that we have to react to them, pull them down and analyze them, doesn't mean they're true, it's just, how do we wanna respond? And so that was like, that, you know, yes, perfectionism was loaded and it was the undercurrent and also it was this ability to get hit with the trigger. Like Mm -hmm. I couldn't control that and that was really hard for me and then, I learned how to, okay, if I meet myself with kindness instead of judgment, I can get through this a lot quicker and I'm not hurting anybody in the process, if that makes sense. I love that. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And we, you know, positively, like our coping skills, we don't, we, we talk about it in elementary school with our kids, with social skills, and then we kind of stop. Uh-huh. It's like, we You're could right. all use that. That's true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? 
you know, how do we cope? We all numb to some degree, you know, we all run. It's like a matter of just checking ourselves and figuring out what works for us when we're feeling our big emotions. You said something that's really brilliant because they, we in kindergarten first, they'll start talking about emotions, but we know as you get older and you experience more, you're going to feel different emotions that you don't have words to put with it. And I feel mm-hmm. like in our practice, we have that all the time where, well, what were you feeling or thinking? And they'll be like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But that's because they need to continue to have those skills evolve as they have more experiences in their life. Yeah, because I yes. think, again, the culture we live in and how fast we are disconnected from our body mm-hmm. and like, okay, yes. let's check in. What's going on? And there's like, huh, I've never done that before. <laughs> I don't know. Check in. Yeah, well, we run from the stillness. Yes. And that naming, there's actually, I, I was reading a study about the differentiation in our human, like our, or not human, our English language is limiting with our ability. Like other languages have more um, descriptive ways, you know, single words that in translated to English are descriptive phrases for feelings. Mm-hmm. And the better we are at differentiating, the faster we're able to move through it. And they linked mm-hmm. it to emotional literacy and differentiating to, you know, binge drinking and all of these, you know, all of these consequences and behavioral um, struggles mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. We're, mo- we're choosing and choosing to do that instead of feeling and naming them. Yeah, it's fascinating. I totally see that. Mm-hmm. Well, um, Samantha, you're such a breath of fresh air for resiliency, Mm -hmm. compassion, and advocacy. Tell us what you are up to now and what is coming in the future. Oh, so many things. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kind of, this is like, so two and a half years, you know, I started the entrepreneur thing five years ago and then launched on my own two and a half years ago. And so it's, I have, I resisted at first going back into the athletic arena and I am fully there now. Mm. (laughs) So I, yeah, I work with, I work at different, I think that to, do what I want to do, which is shift the culture and impact, you know, basically build an empowered village where all athletes feel safe, supported and seen. I mean, that's the mission. Uh, it takes work at all levels. So I work with organizations on strategic planning and wellness initiatives, supports, you know, and then I also work team level and, and with athletic departments and coming in to do talks and workshops. And then I work on a private individual one-on-one level. And that's been you know, it's, it's that space that straddles. It's, I, I'm not a licensed mental health professional. And so I do a ton of, I become a bridge. That's how I see myself. You know, when, when there are issues come up, I'm constantly referring and building, expanding my network as to who to um, encourage my clients to, to seek help from. Mm-hmm. And then we do the mental performance piece. And so, yeah, I, I mean, I'm writing and I'm, I think right now it's, it's, continuing to talk about the stigma around mental health, talk about emotions and move us into that space where as parents we're equipped because this is another have you I don't know if you've had conversations around snowplow parenting. Oh have you guys I haven't heard that, that term though. Oh mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So that's just like the the <laughs> there's like if you go down that rabbit hole. There's and I don't think that it's parents that are bad or wrong or you know, I think all of us really truly are trying to do the best that we can for our kids and it's you know, it's this feeling the need to protect and stop your kid from falling. Mm -hmm. And so help. Yeah. I mean, it's primal, right? Like I don't want to see my kid in pain because it hurts me. And so it's, it's building our tolerance to sit with pain Mm -hmm. and find and develop healthy coping skills. And so I think by my, through my writing and my speaking and um, building relationships with, you know, when I onboard, especially a youth athlete, 
it's a family deal, right? Mm-hmm. Like I talk to the parents and I'm helping them too. So, so yeah. So it's yeah. Lo- it looks at different levels. It looks, you know, looks a little bit differently, but it's the same kind of work. It is really humbling as you progress. So you can relate to this as a swimmer. So my daughter just had her championship and she finally made the championship. And so they have them, they introduce them and they stand up on the, the mm, blocks. Yeah, so fun. <laughs> and I look over at my husband I was like, I cannot stand watching her nervous right now. Oh, and he's like, just <laughs> yeah, let her be. It's so real. And yeah. I'm just like, I know, I know. She's got to work through it. But I was like, oh, yeah. I just want to go over and give her like a hug real quick. I talk <laughs> oh, about this. Goodness. You know, I work with mothers. So I talk about how sometimes we intervene because we're uncomfortable. <laughs> exactly. Right? Yeah, totally. And that is mm-hmm. our coping skill. But it is mm-hmm. like when they're in distress, we're in distress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yes. so much that we do is I can't handle being in distress, uh, mm-hmm. so I'm going to intervene or do something or overcompensate, right? But I didn't yes. snowplow. I Good. stood there. Stood there. I stood there, but stood it was there. not it's easy. So <laughs> it's so hard. I wrote, I actually wrote about that because my daughter did all-star baseball, and I wanted, to, I told her, I joked with her after, I wanted to, like, jump the fence, scoop her up, and run away with Yeah, her. I know. Because I was like, oh, my goodness. Oh, <laughs> again, but it, it is, is like it's, a primal feeling of protection. Yeah. yeah. And it's okay to feel it. That's mm-hmm. what, so that's what I it's learned normal. from my yeah. trauma is that I can, if I'm not wrong or bad for feeling competitive or, you know, feeling like I want to scoop her up, it's, it's my choice and my powers and how I respond. I think it's like biology. I'm like, we can't <laughs> help that. Right. But mm-hmm. <laughs> we can't scoop them up and protect them from everything. Well, <laughs> how much we want to. Even though we wish we could. Yeah. yeah. Well, Samantha, so much for being on and doing the work you're doing. Um, it's been such a great um, time talking to you. Yeah. But we love hearing a little bit of how a mother of four doing the work you're doing. You live out the fit philosophy of balancing mm. performance, health, intellect, and taking time for self. I love your acronym. I love, and I'm I am so excited that this podcast is now in my queue. So thank you because I'm going back and listening to all the episodes. Um, so I have I have like there's multiple layers here, and this is the high performance coach in me. I every Sunday this is this is you know I'm I wouldn't say I'm perfect at it, but when I'm aligned, when I am when things are in a good space, and I'm really honoring that philosophy, I every Sunday I take my actual like hard copy planner and I map out the week and I do make appointments with myself. I make sure that there's white space. Mm, I block mm-hmm. off, which it requ- it's required learning mm-hmm. how to be okay, letting go of what other people think and navigating that space. Um, but that's a huge help. And my husband and I take 15 minutes to just communicate in person about our schedules. Mm-hmm. Um, I go to therapy. I have a therapist that I work with. I hire coaches. Um, I have a team of like a pretty solid inner circle team of four people, including my therapist that, that I use as mirrors. Um, they help me stretch and grow on the personal growth front. And then I really, truly, when I don't feel like doing the meditation <laughs> or whatever, <laughs> I use you, I don't know if you do follow Mel Robbins, but she's awesome. And her five, four, three, two, one has been, I've been using that trick since I've been jumping in cold pools at 5 a.m. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I didn't, you know, it's like a, it's a metacognitive trick and skill. Mm-hmm. And so I will, I will literally play mind games with myself because the motivation comes, I think, after we get started. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in that way, yes. And my girls know, I think that it's been, we talk about it. Um, we talk, it's not, it's something that helps me feel better. So then I show up 
for them in a different way. Yeah. And they can feel that too. Mom needs some alone time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mommy's time out. Well, it's yep. so important for them to see it because, yeah. again, um, they'll incorporate that in their lives when they become busy ladies. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And yeah, it looks like all different things. Sometimes it's just going outside, mm-hmm. being barefoot and taking a couple deep breaths, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Oh, well, Samantha, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, yeah. It's been such a great interview. We can't wait to release it and we'll be share sure to put others. your yeah. social oh, media on there. I can't wait there. to share. Yeah. Thank you so much for what you do in bringing these conversations to all of us. It's awesome. Absolutely. It's so needed. Yeah. Well, have a great rest of your week. Okay. You too. Take care. Thanks, you Samantha. Bet. Bye, guys. Today's episode is brought to you by Yours Truly. I'm excited to announce the releasing of my book, Finding Your Sweet Spot in Sport, Avoiding Relative Energy Deficit in Sport, also known as REDS, by optimizing your energy balance. Be sure to follow me on social media or go to my website, www.beccamacomble.com, to find out when the release date is set and when it'll be on Amazon. Bye, queens. For additional information on today's topic and guests, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Fit for a Queen. And Hashtag Fit for a Queen. And don't forget to rate us on iTunes. We can't wait for you to join us next time on Fit for a Queen. Bye, queens.